You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 470, can you beat Juliet in the 90s quiz, the mood-based record store, and John Lennon? Was he really all that? It's all coming up after Josh Rouse and come back. Bye. 
Containing one of the greatest bass runs of all time, one of the most underrated singer-songwriters of the modern era, from his 2003 album, 1972, Josh Rouse and Back. And one of the best things I did in my kind of music listening life was to finally stop confusing him with Josh Ritter, who's also fine. But yeah, I, I, now that I'm actually listening to the actual Josh Rouse, I enjoy it very much. Thank you. Hello and konnichiwa to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 470. I'm Terence Stackham and... W- We're lucky to have her, really, because this week she signed a deal with Netflix worth $150 million. It's Juliet Harris. I mean, I'm enjoying the increasing, frankly, falsehoods with which you introduced me. Have I got confused again? I think you might have done, yes. Either that or the checks got lost in the post. But anyway, very very much not in receipt of any money from Netflix. Although if anybody from that uh, streaming uh, behemoth is listening, I am, of course, always open to offers. In reality, I went around my local museum this week support your local museums people if you don't then they'll go and i bought a mug and a coaster in the gift shop which seems to cause the the new assistant who hadn't been trained on the computer system a great deal of distress but if you can get past computer systems in local museums go they're really important i'm just i'm just getting confirmation here no i did get confused it's megan markle not julia (laughs) harris i get the two of you confused all the time we move in very similar social circles it has to be said i can understand your uh, i can understand your somewhat characteristic mode of confusion i I feel such a fool um (laughs) (laughs) are we human or are we dancer? It's the sort of question that has troubled the greatest thinkers and philosophers of our time. By which you mean Brandon Flowers, I see. Exactly. Happily, this <laughs> it's not a question that needs to trouble you or Quiz Queen Juliet, oh. as we are to commence proceedings with a quiz based not on nonsensical lyrics from 2008, but based on luminaries, famous people, bands, public figures, if you will, from the 1990s. Indeed. Who am I? 1990s style. We will crawl out of this eventually, by the way. Oh, people yes, are listening. We're just we're just in this for a bit. I'm I'm just rerunning your um. This is the year anniversary of your triumph it is. on Radio it, Two. Yes, it's and very we're much, just yeah. reliving that essentially. Um, three statements available for each of these 1990s figures. Folk, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe a band. Or. Mm-hmm. You know, bands, luminaries, as I say. Um, Outfits, yeah. Yes, exactly. You score three points if you get the answer from clue one. Two points for two clues. One point if you need all three. Fifteen points on offer, but it's a bit harder this week. So Hmm. five points could do better. Eight points, teacher's pet. Eleven points, top of the class. Fifteen points, school captain and Victor Ladorum. (laughs) <laughs> let's uh let's aim for eight and see how we eight get it will be teacher's pet which is a good place to be right let's see right first of five and the first question of the first per uh, first person i was born in 1974 and appeared on the front page of the face magazine in 1990 it was for a feature called the third summer of love is it Kate Moss? Oh, it is Kate Moss. I was, I was making these more <laughs> difficult for you. It's three points for Juliet straight off. Is Very right? good. This will be a false dawn. Don't worry. Yeah, let's try to make them even harder now. Right, second one in. Well done indeed, by the way. Kate Moss. Very, very good. Three yeah. points. I won the Grammy 
for best male rock vocal performance for four years in a row from 1999. Oh, I'm going to, this is a total guess, Lenny Kravitz. Three points, (laughs) Juliet Harris. The funny thing is, is that I I literally can't win on this because if I do really well, <laughs> you get you, you worry that the questions are too easy and that we're not we're not producing quality content for our listeners at home. And if I get them all wrong, then then we all feel bad. So so I don't know what to do. Anyway, we carry I'm on. I'm going to make them harder next. <laughs> yeah. oh. I made my film debut in 1997 in David Lynch's Lost Highway. Oh. Hmm, that's a good that's a good question i i think this is wrong because i think i'm thinking of a different film but i'm going to say naomi watts oh thank goodness yes. incorrect <laughs> hooray my, <laughs> my real name is brian hugh warner but under my stage name my band has the same name as me oh that's marilyn manson two points for juliet harris and i suspect many listeners i always laugh at the fact that he's called brian it never fails i know yes so great isn't it you see him all dolled up in his makeup and looking terrifying (laughs) you can imagine his mum saying brian Brian." take that muck off your face yeah absolutely (laughs) question number four our name consists of three words we've been nominated for 13 grammy awards we won best metal performance in 1992 Guns and Roses. Not so. Okay, carry on. Our two most successful albums were both in the 1990s. The Downward Spiral, 1994, and The Fragile, 1999. Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails is correct. What was that? Two points there. Oh, you're yeah. already way past your target. Of- <laughs> <laughs> we, as the listeners might be as well. Come on, gang. We can smash this last one. Last one. I was born in 1947 and was a running back for the Buffalo Bills and San Francisco 49ers. Oh, gosh, I, I should know this. This is going to be completely wrong, but let's have a laugh at how wrong this is. John Goodman. <laughs> no. In 1994, I was acquitted of murder in Los Angeles. Ah, that would be O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson, two points. Let's add them up. Two, four, six, nine... 12 that ah. puts you between top of the class and school captain and victor ladorum that is a oh i'm sorry not to be victor ladorum but that is a that is a nice place to be they were excellent questions thank you sir t and a good tour around the 90s as well but juliet it's not all uh, over i think it's all over it isn't yet indeed i've got three bonus questions for you on 90s culture now you may remember on that first question that you got so readily we talked about Kate Moss appearing on the front page of the Face magazine. Did, which I was a reader in the 90s. Not always that regularly because it was quite expensive and I had to badger my mum. But I did used to read it sometimes. Let's see how close a reader you were because all of our three bonus questions are on the Face magazine Ooh, in the 1990s. Yeah, let's go for it. The biggest selling issue. Uh, the multiple choice, by the way. You would have a choice yeah. of four. The biggest selling issue of the Face magazine was in October 1995. Who was on the front cover? Was it Paul Gascoigne, Robbie Williams, Nelson Mandela or Brett Anderson of 
top-selling beat group, The Suede. Gascoigne, Robbie Williams, Nelson Mandela or Brett Anderson? Let's say Brett Anderson. It was Robbie Williams. Oh, yeah. And the problem was he did cross my mind, but I voted with my heart instead of my head. Who sued The Face magazine in 1992 and won a libel case after The Face stated this person was gay? Was it George Michael, Chrissy Hind, Jason Donovan, Gary Barlow? I'll go for Jason Donovan. It was Jason Donovan. And he won, oh, something like about a quarter of a million quid. And amazingly, and I thought rather generously, declined to take it because otherwise the magazine would have uh, folded. Yeah. Well, that was that was that was a jolly decent thing to do. He strikes me as a decentest chap, actually, whenever he's been on things. He's, He's a good sport. So well done, Jace. Final question in our multiple choice. Channel 4 launched a TV version of The Face mm. hosted by deputy editor Steve Taylor. I don't remember this at all. Neither do I, absolutely. This is, the show I'm, was called heard, Loose Talk. Yeah. I have no memory of it at all. Who worked as a researcher on that show, the Channel 4 version of the magazine The Face? Who worked as a researcher on the show? Was it Graham Norton, Paul O'Grady, Jeremy Kyle or Jonathan Ross? Could you could you give the options again? Yes. Who who worked as a researcher yeah. on the Channel Four version of the Face? Uh, Graham Norton, Paul O'Grady, Jeremy Kyle, or Jonathan Ross? I'm going to go for Graham Norton. It was Jonathan Ross. Ah, oh, no way! God, I know, un- unbelievable. Well, he, um, I thought he was. I thought he was already big by that point. Yeah, it was his breakthrough. It was, it was his first uh, foray. His foot un- in the door of right, a his, television. His, his rise was stratospheric then, wasn't hmm. it? Given how quickly he became quite big. And of course, his brother Paul Ross began yeah. as a researcher on um, ITV's The Six O'Clock Show, which is where he met um, Danny Baker and um, Jeff Pope. And and uh, when the Word was going, at one point, the uh, the two researchers at the Word that used to share an office were Joe Wiley and Zoe Ball. Is that the Word but, TV show? Yeah. So it just goes to show, if you want to, if in the olden days, if you wanted to get places, be a researcher on a TV show. <laughs> Well, you've done jolly well, really. Overall, you got twelve points, which was absolutely sensational. Going to have to make those questions harder. <laughs> and then you've got one out of three, but they were very random. They, you they, had were, to just in, guess. they were interesting. They were, no. they were certainly interesting questions. But yes, I I love the fact that you take the attitude that my parents do to be doing well at things, which is well, it's too easy. Then we'll have to make it on. <laughs> Thanks everyone for your constant support of my endeavours. No, they were excellent questions. Thank you on behalf of the listening gang and me. Thank you, Seti. Coming up, the Belgian record store that's promoting a new way of discovering music. Mm. That's right after ABBA. Super trooper beams are gonna blind me, but I won't feel blue. Like I always do, cause somewhere in the crowd there's See 
always cheers me up I saw it mentioned on Twitter and just the thought of it being mentioned made me smile and I love the fact that it references Glasgow in its early lines as well I, that seems so incongruous given it's his kind of massive pop band from Sweden but anyway I just I just think that's a that's a that's just a nice song you know maybe I should just start listening to more proper music rather than picking the kind of slightly ertzat indie numbers I usually do so that's me embracing the pop life that is Abba and Super Trooper at the time it was a hit, I, I had no idea what a super trooper was. I assumed it was something to do with outer space or something. But then I went to America and every gig and sports event used them with much gusto. In case the listener doesn't know, it's um, a super enhanced version of follow spotlights that follow a performer around the stage um, mm. in England. But they're, they're, they're so blinding or were then they don't use them anymore, but they were so blinding that they turn night into into day. And that's a super trooper. Lights are going to blind me. Uh, it's, it's, it's clever, isn't it? It just goes yeah. to show that if you have. A, a tune that you can bang your head against as Abba did pretty much all of the time you can get away with singing pretty much anything can't yeah. you because you, if you say I don't you know about you, but I had no idea. I thought you no, know, it was some know. sort of, you know, uh, travels throughout a space because they wore those sort of costumes, didn't they? All um, yeah, space man No, and I thought it was something to do right. with that. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't know until you just told me. I was trying to very quietly Google, and then you very kindly explained. <laughs> so thank you for that. Yeah, I think they were so bright. Uh, but if you look, if 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 um, one looks back at, uh, say, YouTube footage or documentary footage yeah. of bands, particularly appearing outdoors mm. in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and you see these huge beaming lights, mm. that's your super trooper. Is, is um, back back in my my younger days, the the ways to find out about new music were, were quite limited going around to a friend's house and hearing new albums there possibly owned by their older brother or sister that was probably the most common way for yeah me. i would think so yeah um reviews in the new music express maybe possibly on the radio but if you liked call it rock music that was beyond the format of top 40 radio and your, your possibilities were rather limited so much great music i think of the 60s 70s and 80s in particular was lost because there was no way to hear it or know about it. Mm. Now, if we zoom forward to the modern era and we are so overwhelmed... What over- word to use as well? Zoom, very much. Zoom, indeed. Yeah. We're yeah. so overwhelmed with choice that we now have the opposite problem. Mm. How do we find music we might enjoy, even love, through the avalanche of new music that's available to us on a daily basis? Jules, you've been investigating a record store in Belgium that has found what they feel is a different starting point for finding new music. 
Absolutely, yes. As, as ever, I'm toiling at the coalface of all things modern. There's a, there's a, a crew called objectsandsounds.com. Now, you say sort of running up about music. I, as we all know, I live in this very curiously old-fashioned world where I still buy music magazines and I hear frequent records on Six Music that I then go and purchase online or, or in person. And I have a local record store that I go and see, and they arrange their records in genres so they have a new import each week which you go through and they also have genres so you can flick through say the indie section or whatever and you'll go oh, what's this and they'll, and unless it's sealed they'll go oh okay we'll put that on and you can listen to it or you can go and listen now and now they have a I wouldn't call it a booth because it doesn't have walls, but they have a separate turntable and headphones mm. that you can have a wee listening to. And um, and and so that's kind of how I come across a lot of music. Now, this lot, they've gone kind of a step beyond that. So Alec and Amy that run this this store in in out of their flat in in Belgium. Um, I thought this was really interesting. Yes, it might verge a little bit on pretentious. When you look at the photographs, of course, one is in white, one is in black, and everything is sort of, you know, it's all very tasteful, it's all very white and wooden floors and all that kind of stuff. But um, they've said it's the world's first mood-based record store um, that reflects our ever-changing mood and the music we catch ourselves listening to. We steer away from the classic convention of music classification by looking less at trends and genres and release dates and simply more towards how we'd like to be feeling. So you can, so, so they have, they don't have genres. You can't say to Alec and Amy, oh, I'd like, give me your best electro album they don't do it like that however <laughs> what you can say to them is um so i've just gone off in a flight of fantasy in my head give you know give give me your best electro album what the one in the window that's as big as me sir but their um their moods are they have different moods but you can go in and say um i am feeling you know, I'm feeling lost in dreams. So you look at, you click on the lost in dreams and they go, when you were lost in dreams, you were caught up in surroundings that feel strange and eerie. I know this is seconds away from, you know, Yoko Ono's parody, get a lemon, put it next to a radiator. But but it, but it goes on and says, you don't really know what to expect, but you feel deeply mesmerized. I mean, that is me all the time, frankly. This mood is characterized by cold and haunting atmospheres, which are often created by the use of experimental sound effects and unique instrumentations. It's a cold and dreamy sound. And then when you look down, they offer you a, a Terry Riley album, um, some stuff I haven't heard of, um, something that looks a bit like James Blake, that sort of thing. So you can say to them, I am feeling like this or I want to feel there's a sort of a get up, go and get them type thing. So you think, oh, I quite like some music that will motivate me. And then when you go on the website, there's a there are records arranged in that. And I quite like this. It's 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 incredible. I don't I'm not saying this is anything other than extremely niche, but it's a new way of thinking about how to categorize music. I think we've spoken on the podcast previously about how we seem to be moving towards an increasingly genreless world as far as modern pop music is concerned. And that's partly streaming that's done that because you don't have to buy a whole album of something anymore. You can just pick and mix individual tracks and streaming and that sort of thing. You don't have to. And when, when you can stream stuff, you're someone said the other day, you're renting music rather than buying it, aren't you? So, so mm. you don't have to make mm. that good same point. commitment. So, mm, so, so I quite like the idea that we can look at music in a slightly different way and actually there are times when and actually I think when you when I'm putting a record on at home I'm usually picking something 
that I, I mean, my starting point is the mood that I'm in. So, so if I'm feeling a bit tired, I don't necessarily want, you know, I love Led Zepp, but their sore, their super sore away rock is not something that I really want if I've got a headache or I'm feeling a bit, you know, sort of washed out or anything like that. I think, oh, I quite like something a bit more, you know, I might go for something a bit more low key, something a bit more, I might stick on some Nick Drake or something a bit more acoustic singer songwriting. So I like the idea that that when different people work in different ways but I'm less likely to wake up and think I want to listen to the Beatles than I am going to wake up and think oh I'd like to listen to I'd like to listen to something that's going to cheer me up that might that I might wake up and and think about that and then of course that might of course lead me to the Beatles because they always do cheer me up but (laughs) I like the idea that that they're looking at the at the fact that and I think it's that they talk on the website about how this started off during lockdown and I think that's really important to this actually and actually quite clever in that they're trying to read the mood the mood of the time and I think that's really, I think that's really, I think that is the key to this, that we are all in a kind of a strange mood at the moment. We're all in a, we're, we're all perhaps working in terms of how we're feeling rather than necessarily thinking straight, if you see what I mean. So, so I'm not saying that they're going to conquer the world, these people, but I admire them for trying to do something different in this time. And I wonder if they might have hit on something. What? Well- I wish Alec and Amy of Objects and Sounds nothing but the best with their venture. They they clearly love music and are passionate yeah. about sharing it. I think the flaw to the arrangement, mm. um, as I see it, is that you have to base your hopes for finding music you'll like on their judgment. And whilst that may prove to be an excellent source, mm. it also might not be. And luckily though i mean i have to say in their de- in their defense and a positive about it is mm. when you go to their online store which i did uh, the, the other evening you can preview every track of every yes. album That's and to brilliant. be fair i've got to say almost everything i listened to the other evening none of the artists of which by, by the way i'd ever heard of but mm. everything i listened to um i really rather enjoyed but they are competing their vinyl selections against the algorithms of Spotify, yeah. YouTube, Amazon Music and any number of other online sources. And I wonder if they can beat that because, you know, the old if you like that, you may like this. That software that you know I just mentioned, the Spotify and so on, seems to provide that rather well. But I was thinking as Amy and Alec are running objects and sounds from their apartment in Ghent in Belgium as you say staring moodily into the distance in many of their photos um <laughs> I mean uh, I'm not saying that it isn't it isn't a little bit pretentious but I admire their no, ambition uh, very much well, exactly because of that perhaps they don't have ambitions to become world leaders in music retailing <laughs> in which case you know I think a visit to their lovely website is a treat Absolutely. And and I think I think the, the, the idea of ambition is interesting and world leading. There are loads of people who have managed to carve out a living and a, a good living and and a rewarding living just by finding a niche. And this mm-hmm. is a niche. And I and actually it's interesting what you say about them uh, competing with algorithms. Um, they're going for they've obviously worked out that there is a particular type of market it's not you know it's not big it's not as big as the algorithm sort of people listening to music via streaming market but they have worked out there is a market which is not dissimilar to me which is people that still want to find out about new music Mm. that are to some extent willing to put themselves in someone else's hands on that um and it's interesting that you say oh you know um, you're relying on someone else's judgment Mm. 
you are you always were when it came to the music press weren't you because you were relying on if you were reading reviews in the NME you were relying on the fact that someone else listened to an album and told you it was good weren't you and when you oh, were very listening, much yes, and when yeah. you were listening to, to records but through your friends and their siblings you were reliant on their siblings taste weren't you and what their and the sibling was probably reliant on what someone had said in the NME or what someone had told them so actually I don't think pushing yourself into someone else's hands by having them tell you what suits your mood or, 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 or offering you potential options and I think that's that's key as well because when you go on and say for example you think oh um I'll have a look at Emotional Roller Coaster, which in itself is quite a good band name actually if anybody mm-hmm. wants to do that and it says um and, and you know when, when you look at that it offers you um about sort of um about 30 well it offers you a front page of about 28 records and then you can and then you can click on browse the full mood so it offers you a range of options and like you say the idea that you can listen to things on the of you know you can listen to things on on, on the screen you can tap and in very good quality as yeah, well it has to be absolutely and, and soldier i've been on the sounds of the universe uh, website a lot recently the, the record shop in soho and they they also run the soldier as label out there as well um you know i think it really works and obviously they're pitching at people who are willing to pay for music i get that you know it's not the same thing streaming but they've obviously <clears throat> excuse me done their research and identify the fact that there is a market out there for that so i think it's a it's a rather nifty little idea and like you say even if you go into it thinking oh you know is it is it really gonna you know are they really gonna pick things virtually everything you listened to you thought was quite good didn't you so it's so mm. Yeah, be interesting. I wish them well. It's it's objectsandsounds.com. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's such an interesting idea and particularly of the time as well that I would be interested to see. How, I, I wish them every success. I hope it goes well. I wish them well too. Um, coming right up, we're going to be hearing a great deal about John Lennon this autumn, but mm-hmm. was he really all that? That's next after Laura Nero. I was born from love and my poor mother worked the mines I was raised on the good book Jesus Till I read between the lines Now I don't believe I wanna see the morning Going down the stony end I never wanted to go Down the stony end Mama
simply one of the greatest musicians and songwriters of all time. Such a glorious voice built upon hearing her mother's Nina Simone and Billie Holiday records and by, um, as a schoolchild, singing on street corners in the Bronx. From one of the first albums I bought as a young, as a young boy, uh, her debut album in 1967, More Than A New Discovery, the wonderful Laura Nero and Stony End. And I learned something today because it turns out it isn't Nairo. So, so thank you ever so much for continuing to uh, to offset my idiocy, Terence. I'm grateful for it. Awkwardly, she was born um, Laura Negro. Um, which wow i know um she comes from sort of russian and polish parentage it was n-i-g-r-o and as she got into her teens she kind of felt i need to change that yeah i don't blame her wow Mm. that is tricky so uh she she um went under the name of laura nero Well, there'll be no shortage of books about John Lennon available this autumn. Um, he would have been 80 years old in October. And it will be remarkably 40 years since he was murdered uh, in December this year. I just can't believe that. Anniversary. How we balance our reflections on John Lennon, one of the most influential figures in music over the last 60 years, an incredible body of music, mm. well-meant activism, Yet it is burying the truth if the terrible behaviour, the violence, the casual pain caused to Cynthia, Julian, May Pang and many others, if we don't acknowledge that as well. In terms of his music, there's always there's always been that um, sort of shibboleth that McCartney was great on melody, oh, less yeah. concerned with lyrics, whereas Lennon was the wordsmith who took less trouble with the music. Mm. And I think there is something to that, especially in John Lennon's solo work. But as a Beatle, a solo musician and a complicated man, how is your relationship with uh, John Lennon, Jules? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think you've hit the nail on the on the head there. I have two relationships with John Lennon. I have a relationship with John Lennon as a, a musical artist and particularly as a Beatle that's largely how I consume John Lennon I've never had huge amounts of interest in his solo work and actually whenever if I ever want to wind up a particular type of a, a particular type of music snob I always will say you know if I'm in a particularly cantankerous mood it has been known people would no, say oh, what's I know it's oh it's unusual isn't it that I take on aspects of other people's personalities but anyway I am um, I, <laughs> I am I, I you know if I'm in a particularly sort of windy uppy mood and someone will say I was asked once you know oh what's your uh, what's your favorite John Lennon performance on a, on a record I will say oh when he was in the backing band on Walking on Thin Ice by Yoko Ono which I think is genuinely what some of his best playing it was his production on that record and it is it is a fantastic record and that's why you know that was right towards the end of his life I've got the seven inch single that's called you know Walking on Thin Ice for John and has got Yoko Ono writing about his death on the back on, you know, on the back of the sleeve mm. it was you know it was really very much at the end of his life but you know, I think that is, I think it was an untimely death. And I think he would have gone on to produce some really interesting experimental music, actually. And I think that, I think that Paul McCartney is one of the most marvellous pop music writers ever in his own right. I think he's just stunning. 
And I think that whilst I don't want to buy into this kind of shibboleth that he was there for uncool as a result, because he's always rather dismissed. I mean, John Lennon used to talk about his granny songs, didn't he, amongst other mm, things. But, very much so, yeah. And John Lennon is seen as this kind of, you know, more experiment. I mean, McCartney... Can I just say, Jules, there's something yeah. to that, you see. I mean, if you look at the, mm-hmm. the frog chorus and, yeah, I know. You, know, yeah. you know, Bang Bang Maxwell Silver, Silver Hammer, there yeah. is something, something, you know, when I'm 64, there's, yeah. there's something to those, to, to that yeah, criticism. Yeah, true. Although having said that you know there are also um one of the main sort of sources of tension or one of the real kind of moments which it realized things weren't going well was when paul mccartney wrote why don't we do it in the road for uh for the white album which of course sounds very lennon-esque doesn't it it's a sort mm. of i think ian mcdonald says in revolution in the head it's a sort of arty sort of school jape that john lennon would have loved to have been involved in and paul mccartney very pointedly didn't ask him to be on it so mm. so but you're right i suppose there is a general direction of travel and i think that that john lennon would have gone on i think if walking on thin ice is anything to go by he would have gone on to produce some very interesting sort of solo experimental stuff who knows but anyway so so i have a relationship with him as a musician which is you know one of the beatles mm. him and mccartney's songwriting partnership which sometimes it wasn't sometimes one of them would write it and it would be credited to both but sometimes it genuinely was a partnership and that was that was out of this world i think we've rehearsed the fact that we both love the beatles very often on this podcast but yeah i have a more complicated relationship with him as a as a person if what we read is true And actually, as I've got older and I'm one of those people, one of those women who I found myself becoming more feminist in my beliefs as I've got older and in my sort of views and outlook. And therefore, John Lennon has become more of a challenge to me as as time's gone on. I hear and I learn more about his sort of behaviour. John Lennon always in terms of being of how we view his music as being, you know, this and how we view him you know he he passed away at a still fairly young age which means he'll always be that age won't he we didn't have mm. to live through him and who knows what he would have happened but we didn't have to live through many more years of rubbishy behavior towards women you know if that happened mm. we wouldn't have to live through any bitter divorce between him and Yoko Ono we wouldn't have to have lived through him espousing the virtues of Brexit or or you know making ill-advised political comments we could always remember him as being at that point in his life and that is a that is sort of slightly advantageous in that he's sort of frozen in time and one always gets the impression with John Lennon that you know he might he I don't think he would have aged in a particularly mellow way and we might have all had to um had to sit through some fairly unenjoyable press interviews as a result. I mean, this is pure speculation on my part, but that's just a that's just a feeling that I have really. It's and we often we've talked before on this on this program. We'll probably come back to it eventually. I say program, sorry, podcast. <laughs> once a once a, once a Tim Pot Radio broadcaster was a Tim Pot mm. Radio but we've talked before about can you separate people from their art and we'll always come back to that topic because it never seems to stop being relevant I, I, I have to do quite a lot of work in my head to separate Lennon the musician and, Lennon the, and what we've seen of Lennon the person although I do understand that he had a difficult background I do I do get that it was all very hard for him i'm not making excuses but i get that there was you know that there there were things that i wouldn't have wanted to have in my life that went on to him so so i don't know but um yeah my relationship with john lennon is i mean i the solo stuff I, i find that wildly variable wildly variable and it's very telling that imagine has become so popular when it's such a pedestrian mm, song yeah stuff walking on thin eyes which he's been involved in which i think is remarkable doesn't get written up at all really or, or certainly not to the to the same extent i mean i say that he's very arty and edgy and that's very enjoyable 
not even I've sat through two virgins, so I can't say that that everything is everything is great. But no, I I am I you know I think he was a I think he was a one of the most remarkable musicians and what one of the most remarkable writers of music I think that's lived. I think that that can be taken. Um, I've always kind of given other aspects of him a wide berth, though, as a result, because to me, I, I think I think the, the, the key to this for me is to is is that I can get on with John Lennon as long as I treat him only in his Beatle identity rather than his John Lennon identity, which I suspect he would have hated. But anyway, I look back at the early reviews uh, the other day. I, did, um, I was researching through all the um, early reviews of the album Double Fantasy, which was released three weeks before Lennon's death and the reviews written before he died were Mm -hmm. almost universally negative. Uh, I've got Jeffrey Stokes of the village voice. He said, um, and these are quotes. It was a concept album on a misogynist theme. Charles Charles Murray in the NME in a very lengthy negative review said it was quote, a lousy record. The New York Times and Rolling Stone, they were also very uncomplimentary. And then three weeks later, everything changed. Um, in the in the UK, the album had slumped to number 46 after a couple of weeks, and it wasn't in the top 10 in America. Straight after his death, the album went to number one in the UK mm. and America and all, all around the world. And then, and then, of course, there was this revisionist history where everybody always thought it was great, I assume. Well, yes, exactly. This is this. Yeah, that's that's my point. You know, it all went to number one, and suddenly it was it was uh, a different record altogether. Mm-hmm. And I think if Lennon hadn't been murdered, that that particular album would have been considered a failure. And of course, all the songs weren't written in 1980, so we can't even say, well, he put it together in a rush for the album because he'd been working on songs through, throughout his uh, hiatus. His, yeah. his long weekend and further on from the comfort of the the various apartments that they owned in the Dakota building I think that's another interesting thing is that Mm. we think of them in an apartment in the Dakota building I think they owned about four five six different apartments in there some of them were housing um their clothes another one had all the sort of rock music paraphernalia guitars and everything and um another one i think was just for john lennon to go and loll about in so um you know they they were in basically what was a massive mansion within the dakota dakota building but um so John John Lennon, as as you rightly point out, is what another one of those confusing enigmas where we have to decide whether we can separate the music from the real life person. All of the Beatles are larger than life characters, and John Lennon more than most. But as the book published and published uh, books coming up to be published in the next couple of months will no doubt focus upon if we just consider the music, then Beatle wise, what a legacy! Absolutely, and th- I think that's it, isn't it? And they've all they've all produced, you know, really interesting works, haven't they? Um, yeah, it's 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 you know it's it's, it's something else, isn't it? It's it's you know it, it's interesting that them all of the people in that band always had to grapple with having been a Beatle afterwards. And actually, the person that the person that was was most successful at, at moving on from that, I think, was McCartney, simply because he. 
he seemed to he seemed to be the one that enjoyed being a Beatle the most. He was the one that 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 worked hard to keep it all together at the end when it was all falling apart. And he's the one who, to me, whose output has been the most Beatleish, really, in terms of in terms of his sort of ear for a tune and that sort of thing. And you know, fair play to him, really. I mean, obviously, uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, the only two that that are still with us. Uh, George Harrison did actually go on to make. He he was interesting, I think, in that he he started off they all seemed to start off with their Beatle personas didn't they in their music and producing the sort of music that 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 you would have expected from them in their place in the Beatles and then sort of moved on and actually George Harrison's pop records towards the end of the of the 80s were, were really good so so you know we could probably talk for a very long time about each Beatles solo output and where it kind of it sits in their place it'll be interesting as with all these things when these books come out in the autumn i suspect i'll probably end up reading one of them um whether or not they'll have any new revelations or anything a new slant on it or whether we will it will just be the same old rehashes i don't know they all tried initially after the beatles to shake off all evidence of the beatles when mm-hmm. paul mccartney first toured and um uh, was on the road with wings initially no beatles songs mm. and then eventually over the years it's yeah. become now where it's you know beatles greatest hits really ringo went off to do movies like the magic christian and and all sorts of other endeavors uh, and has ended up again doing uh the the all-star band where you know he he sings all this you know um songs from the from the from the beatles um as the highlight of the show and uh, george again was very much sort of oh i'm fed up with being a beetle and ended right up writing songs like when we was fab and all those years ago which were basically tributes to being a yeah. beetle <laughs> well, well they, and they predicted this let's not forget towards the end of abbey road boy you're gonna carry that weight a long time yeah. you know they knew this was gonna happen didn't they indeed now, thanks so much for listening this week. Uh, we love have you, having you there. Yeah, it's lovely. And it's it's so nice that, you know, I just sit in my spare bedroom and do this. And occasionally we get people tweet and say, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, as, as, as a joy as it is to talk to Terence all the time, it is very nice to know that other people are listening. So thank you. It's lovely to be along for this ride, this crazy ride through our crazy times with you. Now, Jules, when you're not sifting through vinyl albums at Objects and Sounds in Ghent in Belgium. Absolutely. When I haven't turned up on their doorstep and yeah. told them that I'm feeling a bit sad, can they give me a record? Yeah. Where may we find you this week? Well, I'm going to do my I'm going to carry on doing my mixer thing as there seems to be. There seems to be some level of, of demand for that. I think demand's possibly overstating it, but again, people seem to come along for the ride. Very, so, so uh, very good. So I have a, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. I have a, I have a little mixer channel that I operate through. Um, if you go to mixer.com, which is in true modern style, we we only have some of the vowels along for the ride. To use that phrase, m i x l r dot com. Search my name, Juliet Harris. You can choose to follow me if you wish, and then you get notifications when I'm on air. I'll do Saturday evening from. Uh, well, it's Saturdays five till seven, isn't it? Just reminding. Yeah, five till seven on the Saturday, yeah. seven till nine you. on the Sunday. Thank you, thank you. I just, you know, I just, I have a reminder in my phone that tells you where I need to be when. <laughs> five till seven on Saturday evenings, I do the Saturday social, which is Northern Soul, uh, Motown, bit of mod, bit of funk, that sort of thing. And uh, Sunday evenings is a is a very relaxing proposition called Smooth Sailing, which is a yacht rock, classic pop, M O R. You know, that's that easy listening, that sort of thing. And uh, again, people pop along, and I'm always very grateful 
grateful for that. So if you would like to listen to some sounds, uh, that's a very nice, well, people seem to think that is a very nice thing to do. And I enjoy doing it. So uh, do come along if you'd like to. Now, you've not only chosen one of my favourite REM tracks to play us out, you've picked one of my favourite tracks of all time. Well, what can I say? That's a rather that I'm I'm rather pleased with that. Um, I've been my big sort of CDs is now finally seems to be coming towards <laughs> some sort of conclusion. And obviously, they went through a phase in it would have been I think Virgin at that point, my HMV Zavi Virgin whatever local store. Um, then came out with this, um, which was they were releasing REM CD singles three for ten pounds. So oh, I've got several cd singles of arium which i otherwise probably wouldn't have had and one of them was this because it was a non-album track so i think this might have been the thing that that's i think i went in to buy this and then because that's how they get you terence i then went oh i might <laughs> buy two cds because i make it up to 10 pounds so honestly you, you rotters uh music retailers everywhere but anyway i love this song i like you i think it's one of their one of their very best it was i think for um I, I think it might have been for the um, the Andy Kaufman film that they was were, it Man in the Moon, yeah, yeah, that's right with Jim Carrey in it, and I just I just thought this is such a great song. Um, the, uh, the the their knack for a tune is marvelous, I think, and you know there's a lot to be said about the surrealist lyrics, but it all makes sense to me. I think it's I think it's lovely. You can if if you can't find the CD single anywhere, you can get, you obviously buy it online, or um, it's it's on their best of I think, or, or their their in time best of the uh, the 88 to, to 2003 one so the sort of the, the post irs years best of you can get it on that but this is rem and the great beyond i've watched the stars fall silent from your eyes all the sights that i have seen i can't
Listening to a parish council production. John, can you autograph? Yeah. Hey, I gotta shake your hand, man. What's up, man? I can't believe I met you. I swear to God, how come what are the Beatles getting back together? Tomorrow, tomorrow. You're full of it. What are you getting back together? I love your album. I like your blue album. Hey, what's that guy? Hey, hey, hey. I can't believe it. 